The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson. Each week on the podcast, we visit a different foodie city and explore the cuisine that makes that place special, whether it be custard tarts in Lisbon, mango beer in Mumbai, or lizard curry in Guatemala. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. You never said one. Well, I can say one, too. It's all okay. It was just, I figured that if I went three, two, you might catch on that it was one. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Winemakers. I'm John Myers with a hey, full crew today, Sam, Bart, and Brian, and David Rossi from Fulcrum Wines, and a big table outside of the tasting house, just loaded four, with beautiful four wines. Four microphones, five people, Fulcrum. eight bottles of wine on the table. <laughs> and Dane Sellers, man. Valeria, I haven't seen a Wednesday for a while. Just so. another Wednesday. Cheers. Beautiful Cheers. day. And thanks for having me. Beautiful day. Gewürztraminer. Oh, sure. I love a Gewürztraminer. Welcome, David. How are you? If you can't say Gunlock Bunchu Gewürztraminer, you shouldn't be driving. We've lost control. <laughs> you know, they ought to do a poster with that. <laughs> we, we never had control. Nice to see that we just kind of slowly ramp up into the conversation. That's pretty much it. That's yeah, exactly the way it happens. Normally, yeah. that whole movie conversation would have been involved yeah, in this yeah, as well. Sure. <laughs> yes, Sam, you're right. We, I actually did take Gunlock Bunchu Gewürztraminer off of the by the glass list at the Fairmont because because nobody could say it. Nobody could say it. It yeah. was such a, it was a great wine, but the only thing I could think of is that people just the, Gunlock Bunchu is hard enough, and then Gewürztraminer is hard enough. Put them together. It's, oh yeah, it's it it tough. A, 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 tourists just couldn't do it. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking. You know. So think about that winemakers. Je- <laughs> right. Jeff Bunchu's grandmother just rolled over in her grave. God bless you. <laughs> hey, we still pour the Merlot. <laughs> I'll have the gun bun Merlot, please. That's right. GB. The Merlot. Hey, you can at least say it. Gewürztraminer is a tough one for some people. Gun, yeah. gun bun was a hard one to learn. What, what year, when. Bart, do you think the that poster, the, it was like the old truck in the Gunlock Bunchu Vineyard, and the tagline was, and it was like a, a old timey cop pulling him right. over and saying, "If if you can't say Gunlock Bunchu Gewurztraminer, you're not sober enough to be driving." Right. So that is actually was actually gra- Jeff's grandmother. That was Jeff's grandmother. Yeah. And okay. and wow. and it was her car. It was filmed on the ranch, obviously. Yeah. And it was about the same era that they did the photo shoot down on the square. It says two bottles a day. That's all we ask. Yeah. And those were like done by 90s? Ron Ron Zach. Um, who was a, a photographer here? I think he passed away a couple of years ago. He did all the wine um, wine auction posters right. of that era. Go to the Swiss Hotel when you're visiting Sonoma if you'd like to see them. Um, and uh, I would say it was late '80s for late sure. 80s, yeah, yeah. The, the, these old black and white. They were like deep deep diving into Sonoma Valley vintners history, Lore. David. Which is wow. the, in the there was these like they were always black and white in my memory. I and, remember them. Yeah, yeah, you're old enough. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I know I look young, <laughs> and that was Ron's thing. Is is Ron did black and whites for the most part, right? Um, and yeah, one of them was. I mean, at iconic places, you know, at the wine auction, right? Um, at um, at Train Town, um, 
uh, of course, at City Hall and around train town. town. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah. If you're coming, the wine if you got kids, you got to go to train no town. No fun. No, that's we not just true. tell everyone to say Gewurz. Gewurz. Because yeah. it sounds, first of all, it's easier to pronounce. And second of all, you can now go to Brooklyn and sound hip, right? <laughs> oh, you've got the Gewurz. I love that Gewurz. No, I you? love that. You become like an immediate insider, right. and you avoid having to pronounce everything. Right. right. So that's, our, that's what we advise people in the tasting room to do. And Because you are an well, East Coast you? guy, right? You, you need to start with an introduction. Who, who oh, the, who the so, hell are we talking to, and what so are we drinking? Rossi from Vulcan. So, so David, I, I met him um, um, once when he was pouring at the Fairmont. You know, we have um, wineries that come pour every day, four thirty to five thirty, and it must have been during the pandemic because we were pouring outside, and he actually was pouring. Because normally, I don't see David; I see one of his um, employees mm-hmm. um, coming and pouring the wines. Um, but I've wanted to have him on the show um, since then. He does have a um, tasting room down on the square um, in what do you call Vine, Vine Alley. Vine Alley. And, um, um, you know, I know he's sort of known for Pinot, but also does other varietals. And so sure. we, we had to jump through a couple hoops over the last three weeks or so to get him on. But happy finally to get him. During harvest, uh, it's a little more challenging to get winemakers on the show, so we appreciate sure. your time. So are you saying that then it's like, but you could get me? Uh, that, no, no, not at all. Was that the subtle subtext to that comment? No, no. Normally okay. we're scrambling Great. for like a tasting room personnel. Or, uh, <laughs> Great. Great. David, my big question is, uh, how is the square these days? It looks packed, and is it doing really well for you? Uh, it looks packed because a lot of the spaces are taken up because of the parklets. parklets. <laughs> so when you crowd this smaller number of people in yet a smaller uh, uh, space, it looks really packed. I think it's been good. I mean, our, our numbers are up over 2019, back pre-pandemic. Uh, but I think part of that is also um, the lack of not all the tasting rooms have reopened, right? I mean, there's some empty spaces out there. So what you do have is maybe some lesser traffic, but they're going to fewer Fewer options, which is helpful. We went down Sunday uh, afternoon, and it was actually kind of calm. I think people were heading home. But we saw Respect, the mm-hmm. Aretha Franklin movie over mm-hmm. the Sebastiani. Mm-hmm. Go see Respect. It was great flick. Mm-hmm. Really well done. Yeah. I like those. Well, David, do you think over the last year, well, uh, number one, because um, a lot of the wineries are requiring <clears throat> appointments, Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I run across tourists every day that are checking in. <clears throat> I can tell they're still checking in. They have their free glass of Gloria Ferrer in their hand, and they're asking me, where should we go wine tasting? It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and they're wanting to know where they can go, like, right now. Um, and I tell them, you know, most, most places are requiring appointments because mm-hmm. they want to know you're coming. They want to sit down and have some one-on-one sure. time with you. But are you guys able to take walk-in traffic? That's the great thing about us. We always take walk-ins. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the. Chapelet, I don't know if you remember, but Chapelet used to have their Sonoma location uh, a couple doors down from us in Vine Alley. But they decided not to renew that lease. And so I took over all their outdoor space. So I am now leasing not only my space, but all of their outdoor space, which basically has made it possible for us to basically handle, except on certain times on Saturday, basically able to handle whoever's coming up if they'd like to come up. And that's, that's been our, our strategy on the plaza since we opened in 2016 was we want to be, we want to be accessible. It's actually part of my whole 
business. I used to be allocation only, and then I opened it up and said, I just don't want to manage this anymore. First people that get to the line, get to buy the wine, I'm not going to spend my time figuring out how to spread it out. If one person wants to come in and buy my entire amount of our Gaps Crown Pinot, if their credit card runs right. through, I'm right. selling it. Where, should, where oh. do I drop it off? <laughs> right. So, so is there, I mean, is there a lift gate? <laughs> do, I, do I need a forklift? I mean, yeah. to kind we of we offer a two percent discount, by the way, on pallet quantities. 2%. I just want to get that out there for everyone. <laughs> and that's so, how many bottles on a pallet? On a pallet, fifty-six cases times six twelve, well, so six seventy-two. Roger Randall. How many? Call six seventy-two. Yeah. Six seventy-two. <laughs> um, he knows it off the top of his head. He really has. You really do have the. Well, I, I I just I just handled a pallet order at the okay. tasting room this morning, so that's top of mind. Um, so for perspective, when you when you were having tastings, or maybe you're still having tastings inside, it, you were capped at like how many people at a time? Well, we could for see, space. We could seat eleven people inside. Okay, you know. So how much space? And, and do outside, you have outside, we had now? a two top. Right. We had one two top. Right. So it was like so. The whole idea of a reservation, it wasn't even worth bringing right. in a person for that reservation. So now, now, how can, much do you have? We can now probably seat up to sixteen people at the Chapelet space. Yeah. Plus, we have the other two top we have, so that's eighteen outside. Yeah. And then you add an inside with our eleven, which is all pretty well spaced. We yeah. don't we don't allow anyone at the bar anymore, so we kind of have pared down what we have there and so now everyone has their separate seating areas so we can handle a fairly decent sized group now so um and really yeah, saturdays location, are the day that's when it starts key to too i mean it. letting people come in on in that location that's just got to be key yeah yeah i i uh yeah I, I want to make our lives easy and i want to make lives easy of our customers i mean we accept we accept uh uh reservations but I would say, you know, the bulk of our business is still walk-ups. I guess we're getting a flyby here. I know Everybody's this is like Red Dawn. It's got to be military going by. I mean, my guess is Cal Fire. Yeah, we yeah. Don't, well, no, feel no. good that there's no red red dust coming out of it. Yeah, no exactly. kidding. It's a private jet flying into uh, Reno to come pick up a pallet of wine from David. This <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're Absolutely. You just. Just loaded it up. Parking Napa. I really like that space in. over there in Wine Alley. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Danny Faye had Evolve, Involve, Involve, Involve yeah. over Used there. Used to be the old uh, Chapelet space. And uh, and he, he, he did real well. And Steve was there. I mean, it's a very active place, and I'm sure you yeah, just get well, tons can, of people. Man, well, that's a great spot, really. I love it. Um, but we are off the plaza. You know, you gotta know to look. You gotta look in between the church mouths and Chicos. You've gotta, you've gotta know that we're there. And by the way, an alley sounds like you know I'm peddling something behind a dumpster. But that's hey, uh, but I'm, I'm cool. working on that. I'm, th- I'm working on maybe Vine Knock Plaza. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, something, something of Vine. You know, it's such a beautiful space with the fountains. It really is. And the gardens. Yeah. That hey, come to Vine Alley. Right. You know, and and by the way, there's half-eaten donuts behind the dumpster that we compare. You know, yeah. an alley just doesn't. I don't know. I don't know if that's really fight the rats. Doing us. It's uh, worth it. Doing us. Justice. The nice part is <laughs> that that open space is relaxed, and you kind of are. It is. Off, that is the nicer part. You're, you're away from craziness. traffic. Yeah. You're away from all of that. So we had the opportunity to do a parklet and decided not to. That's why we just figured we wanted to go further back. Does anybody else do a wine tasting parklet? Well, yeah. Um, 
Pangloss. 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 Yeah. Uh, Adostra has one, or maybe they're using. No, I don't think that, in, that's just that's just, that's Oso. just Oso. Pangloss um, looks like they're in. I believe Caddis. <laughs> those the the folks that are right there. Yeah, I know that they have a yeah. few spaces out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so we could have done it, but you know, yeah. for us, it just a lot of walking, the traffic, all of that. We felt like let's just have something more serene. That's really oh, yeah. more of our vibe. We want to spend time with the. We want to spend time with customers, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, the fact that that space came open was absolutely ideal. Like, why would you do a? If you would have been Made out, no on, if you would right. have been out on the parklet, and then that would have came available, you would have been kicking right. no yourself sense. in yeah. the butt. It makes I, no sense. I know when Cindy was still there, and she was talking about. Um, there was a group talking about opening up that. I was and part of that. It was yeah, me and, and Cindy. And yeah. then, but by the time we all split it up, then we all have, you right. know, four chairs out there. And it's like, it just, the juice wasn't worth the just squeeze. Just didn't make it. Right? Sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, so David, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, one, the Gewurz, Sure. And then two, how you kind of got started in this whole crazy business. Sure. Well, first about me, I'm, I'm a Libra. Uh, I like Chinese food, long walks in the rain. Um, my turn-ons are people that, uh, people that like to people that buy pallets, turn-offs, uh, girls with attitudes. Uh, that's at least you know what I put in the magazines, um, but they were tastefully done. Uh, I I live in New Jersey, so that's probably the weirdest thing about wait, me. Wait, wait, still currently? Yeah, always have. Started this winery wow. back in two thousand and six. Um, came out and made 100 cases of Pinot Noir from the Hein family vineyard in Anderson Valley. Well, wait a minute. So, okay, slow it down there. Let's go back you to actually, Because you actually used to have fruit flown out to you in Jersey. Yeah. yeah okay, so and I had a question about that because I'm... Uh, yeah, I can looking, arrange for that. Looking back on that, does it seem crazy that you're like picking Not if you fruit know up? me. Not if you know me. So... Um, I grew up in the restaurant business in Arizona. I was born in Tombstone, Arizona, raised in Tucson. But uh, started working in, with, in, group, in, in the restaurant business. I transitioned into working for big food companies, Tyson Foods, H.J. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hines. And I was in Pittsburgh. I, was, uh, I wasn't coming home frustrated. I was going to work in the morning frustrated, <laughs> kind of screaming at people. And my wife's like, I think you need a hobby. And I always cook because I was always working back of house in restaurants. But um, I passed a home winemaking shop in the North Hills of Pittsburgh. And I said, why don't I just try making a little wine at home in my basement in Pittsburgh? And I bought a little kit, threw a little yeast on, it started fizzing. What was I, the first <laughs> one? Do you remember? Yeah, it was a Gewürztraminer from Washington State. Wow. Yeah. Um, I bought pre-bucketed uh, juice from Brem Vineyards, by the way, for all of you home Shout wine Shout out makers. Peter Brem. Yeah, there you go, I, Peter Brem. We, we sell some uh, Zinfandel to there Peter Brem. There you go. Yeah. So um, years ago, and uh, made a bucket of Gewürz, which is a great tie-in here. Um, and, uh, what year was this? Uh, the year of our Lord, 1900 and 96, (laughs) something like that. I think, I I don't know if it was, yeah, Yeah, I think it was the Clinton presidency, if that's what you're, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Um, pre-impeachment. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Bob Dole's running for president at this time. Yeah, absolutely. I called it the blue dress white. So, in any case, um, I just got that. <laughs> welcome welcome to the party, yeah. John. Welcome, yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. So anyway, I uh, started as a home winemaker, and yeah. that's that's how it was back in the '90s. And uh, 
Uh, I just went crazy. I did go to Davis. I put down a credit card and just bought every textbook. I, they didn't ask if I was enrolled, and I think it was a $4,000 credit card bill, oh and I God. bought every textbook. I always had a mind for chemistry, so that was something that came kind of naturally to me. And, uh, yeah, I built a full lab in my house. I started flying in grapes from Argentina uh, into Pittsburgh International uh, Airport and making it in my basement. Eventually moved to New Jersey for a different job that I had, and I actually um, bigger, worked with a buddy. Bigger basement? Huh? In a bigger basement? Yes, 1,500 <laughs> square foot walkout bit basement, and I built a crush pad onto the back. Excellent. There we go. I planted three vineyards in New Jersey, right. um, which is kind of cool, all in Monmouth County um, for clients. So it was kind of a mini vineyard management kind of a thing. Uh, and I was doing this all while I had a day job in New Jersey. Were you at Heinz then? No, I'd moved to a smaller company that had a bunch of specialty food brands where I did marketing. Uh, I mean, that's what I used to do in Chicago. Uh, yeah. Food marketing, advertising, yeah. Oh, yeah? Very interesting. Yeah, well, maybe we know. I used to have my ad agency was J. Walter Thompson in Chicago. Absolutely. Oh, man. Oh, JWT. I shared a lot of clients with them. From God, Jim it Morris seems like another life. And Kellogg's. Yeah, it seems is. like another life totally. ago, you know? Well, um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I can guarantee that. At my age, I'm happy to be anywhere, right? I'm an old Henny Youngman. So, um so anyway, so that's how the whole thing started. Then I said in 2006, you know, people pay me to launch products like at H.J. Heinz and all that. Maybe I could make my own and just sell a little bit commercially. So that's when I came out here and went to Crushpad, uh, which is the only place that would allow me to make something as small as four barrels. Um, but by this time, I had made – I was up to making probably 1,200 gallons a year in my basement. Wait, so where is all that and wine going? Most of it down the drain. <laughs> Honestly, I, I may. Oh my God, the amount that I, I have everything I learned about winemaking came from a book. I didn't have mentors. I didn't go to Davis and then work somewhere and have someone coach me through it. I was literally this guy reading books and making it in my basement and reading articles and trying to glean as much as I can. All of whatever style I have comes from being kind of self-taught and doing it kind of my way, and so. The one of the great things is I can fix any flaw in any wine because I've created every single flaw <laughs> in every wine it's as a home winemaker. It's like there has been if there is a mistake to be made in winemaking, I have made it and either figured out what is the point of no return and or how to fix it. So you know, there's a new book that came out. They're selling it at the bookstore uh, here in town, um, and it's all about shout defects. Out, shout out readers' books. Shout out to readers' books, and it's all defects. I think I'm a chapter in there. Um, you know what? It's written by different people, David. I'm going to see if you're referenced. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, real quick, just for our listeners, so Crush Pad was like the original tiny crush, uh, custom crush place. Yeah. It was located in San Francisco. Um, Cindy, we're in the city. Uh, Cindy in the from city. Passaggio was the assistant winemaker and cellar manager there. Shout out to Cindy at the end. At but the, she started when I met her. She was the lab manager. Okay, lab manager. She was literally. I would hand her a sample and I would literally stand there and watch her do it. Right. You can ask her, right. and she'd be like, you, um, uh, "I'll have this for you in a couple hours." Yeah, I'm like okay. 
And, and, and I just look at and her. And you just wait. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're one of those sort of winemakers. I was absolutely. You can ask. The fact that she still talks to me is amazing. Um, and and um, it was like a place. I mean, they had very, very good access to fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who it was, the group that put it together. Michael um, Brill kind of started it, the whole okay. thing. And then it moved up here to um, Napa County. Mm-hmm. For a while, and and then it turned into something else. Yeah, um, but anyway. but it was uh, I was in the original location, which was off of Bryant, which was right. an old mayonnaise factory, uh, and so it actually was a nice. I w- it was a chance for me to start. I I left there after I think the first harvest, and I went to a facility I still work out of, which is called Bin the Bottle, okay. which I a pretty well known, pretty large facility. But um, I've been working out of there since uh, two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight. Something like that. Okay, so you're, you're, you're making wine at home. You decide to move out here. Where, what is your first step in getting fruit out here? So part of it was cold calling. So part of it is me literally finding wines that I liked. I believe um, Copan at the time was making uh, uh, a Hein family uh, Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked that. And actually, Crush Pad had access to fruit, and I think I got the Hein, uh, the Hein family vineyard through them. And that's how I started. Um, and then the second year, you know, just calling around, I got to Premier Pacific Vineyards and got some Gaps Crown fruit. Which was, um, which was, which was some of, th- there was some connection with Premier um, and, and Crush Pad. I think mm-hmm. that they used to sell quite a bit of fruit to them. Yeah, I yeah. think there was. On and and a, that was. Even up in, uh, even in some of their Oregon properties. Right, right. Yeah. Um, because they did. They had Oregon fruit. And, and that was before Gaps Crown it was still kind of the up and coming. I was coming. in Gaps Crown before Gaps Crown was cool. That's, that's my point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back when it was still owned by a teacher's union. Right. right. Well, it did right. get that's cool. It. Yeah. I mean, it really did. It got a nice name going. It really. I think some of Danny's stuff came from over there, didn't it? Uh, there's a lot of people who've yeah. bought fruit from Gaps Crown Vineyard. Uh, Sojourn right here. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, okay, that's well, really on the plaza, also, I've, I've, you know, it, it's a pretty special property. Yeah. And I feel very privileged to have been making wine in it since 2007 uh, in various blocks that I've kind of selected over the years. But when you come to the plaza in Sonoma, you have Three Sticks, who, by the way, owns the property. Right, right. Uh, and then you have Walt. Right. And then you have Autour, and then you have me and Sojourn. You'd feel like, oh, does everybody make a Gaps Crown? Right. It's like if you come to the plaza, well, there's probably only a, less than a dozen people getting fruit out of there, but we're all on the plaza. <laughs> Will you describe sort of where the vineyard is and, and what sure. Gaps you know, Because it, it's not just a cool name, John. It has, um, yeah. you know, it's the Petaluma Gap, and it's, it's and so sure. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so Gaps Crown is near the town of Pengrove uh, off of Roberts Road. Uh, San Giacomo has their Roberts Road property yep. across the street there. Um, and, you know, it's in the Petaluma Gap. So it's, it's, our wine is actually labeled as Petaluma Gap. Originally it was Sonoma Coast before Petaluma Gap became its own AVA. It's really a gap in the, the terrain that allows uh, just a lot of breezes to flow all the way from the Pacific inland. And then that airflow dumps out in San Pablo Bay. And so that constant airflow is what truly defines this area. It winds up being um, cooler, and you also have almost constant breezes. From about 11 o'clock, the wind picks up, and it runs all the way to sundown. And as you guys know, I mean, when you're growing fruit in a windier area, you tend to pick up thickness in the skins, whether that's apples or peaches or plums. You tend to pick up a little bit of a thicker skin. It's just a biological response of the fruit. So 
in Pinot, which already is starting with a thin skin, you're starting to get a thicker skin, so you start to get more color, more tannin out of out of this area, and it really becomes indicative. Right. So Gap's Crown became very famous because it actually was a richer, fuller style of Pinot Noir, and a lot of that had to do with where it's grown. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I try to make a style that's a little more um, out of Gap's Crown elegant. If you want to, you can make a very Syrah-like, you know, out of gaps, if you are so inclined, that that property would allow you to do that. Yeah. So go, going back to, you know, those buckets of Gewürztraminer uh -huh. in the back in your trunk on the way home oh, from doing ML in my uh, powder room in your powder. with a space heater so, and my wife having to climb over carboy so I could finish the uh, ML. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she immediately regretted asking you, telling you you should get a hobby. Um, but well, what, she's an ex-wife. Maybe that says a little something <laughs> about enough. how that all worked right. out. Got the winery. It worked out for her. Um, <laughs> but what were you? What were you? What were you drinking in those days? What were you like? You know, you went and bought Gewurztraminer. What were your wine influences? Sort of yeah. in those days that kind of like informed the style of the wines you're making right now. Alsatian whites. For a while there, I I first got into wine. So when I, okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I first got into wine up when I lived in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is close to the Finger Lakes. Right. Um, and so uh, not only did they have, obviously, all the native varietals and French-American varietals, but they, they did a decent job with uh, Pinot Gris and Gewurz and Riesling. And so those are, that's kind of what I cut my teeth on. <laughs> um, and uh, to this day, if I thought I could pay my mortgage by only making Alsatian whites, I would. <laughs> I would literally open up a tasting room that is literally Pinot Blanc and Pinot Gris and Riesling and Gewurz and all. I would love. Brian would be there I, every I would day. Work there for you. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be my bag for free. For free. You know? <laughs> I love. I think there's complexity there. There's interest there. There's every range of RS there. There's it's finesse. There's wines that can be powerful. I mean, it's just such a great group of of grapes that that's that's something that i would have to say uh i would do now and and it wasn't it wasn't this passion for pinot necessarily off the bat i i think i wanted to do pinot because i felt like there was a chance to have a voice in pinot at the time because they were becoming more syrah like they were getting hung out there it was bigger is better kind of attitude and that's when I came up with the idea of fulcrum, which is the hinge point on the lever, the point of balance, and said, let's still use California fruit that's still going to give you a richness, but let's dial it in a little bit and have it have a little bit more balance. And that kind of was the start of it all those years ago. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I don't love Pinot, but that really wasn't, it wasn't like, oh my God, I, I summered in Burgundy every year, and right. therefore I wanted to start a, you know, I wanted to start a Pinot winery. By the way, that always fails. Just because, just a tip for everyone, just because you like going to a restaurant doesn't mean you can run a restaurant. Right. And just right. because you like to shop doesn't mean you can run a retail location. Right. Just a little helpful advice from a guy in the restaurant <laughs> business. <laughs> uh, just because you can make wine doesn't mean you can sell wine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and I think this is a good point to, to stop and tell people fulcrumwines.com while you're listening to the show go to the website and on instagram at fulcrum wines so you can kind of um get to the website and look at the wines um that are offered there while you're listening to the show yeah i appreciate it yeah 
Um, I, what love, if, I love the aromatics on the Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, so we want to about the Gewurztraminer? Let's no, say, that's I mean, okay. No, apparently delicious. they didn't like. No, Absolutely. they didn't like the no, Gewurztraminer. No, 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 no. I drank so it too fast right to talk over about it. it. <laughs> no, it's okay. I just went on. I just waxed poetic about Alsatian whites. All right, and moving on. Now, now for something that there's actually a section in the store for Sauvignon Blanc. These guys are. We've gone through four Pinots already while you're talking. You want to go back to the Gewurz? There's only eight bottles of wine on the table, so. Want to go to the Gewurz? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. So I love Gewurztraminer. Mm. Um, it was the first wine I ever made, so this is uh, kind of cool. The fruit comes from Farrington Vineyard up in Anderson Valley. Yeah, yeah. Great property. Story Vineyard. There we go. Sure. Really well known. Well known for Pinot. Probably the William Salem Vineyard Desic something. It's really well known. Does a fabulous job with uh, Pinot Noir. Also Gewurztraminer. Uh, farmed by Paul Arzuni up there. Good guy. Okay. Um, I've worked with Paul up in Anderson Valley on a variety of properties where I've gotten fruit, and uh, he's a class act. It's a beautiful spot, isn't it? It is. It is gorgeous. So this fruit is, um, uh, I think Anderson Valley does kind of this kind of aromatic white as well as anywhere in California. Um, Less and less of it, unfortunately, being planted up there because of the domination of Pinot. Same, almost the, the cab phenomenon in Napa kind of brought to Pinot up there. Um, but this wine, um, we try to pick, picking Gewurz is the key. You don't want to pick, if you pick it early, it's a grapefruit wine. If you pick it too late, it just smells like French milled soap. You don't even want to, it's objectionably aromatic. And it's almost the color, it's this russet color that you want to get on it, that if it starts going into deeper red, you better go to late harvest. Otherwise, you're going to make a table wine that is like impressive, but like, it's not palatable, quite frankly. Well, and, and let's, you know, if you've ever seen Gewurztraminer, it um, doesn't really look like very many other grapes out there, right? Many I mean, pink grapes. Yeah, it's, it's actually it's, a pink color when it's ripe. It's the, it's when you see the, like, the bin of Gewurztraminer, it's like the, the bag of Skittles has been opened and <laughs> yeah, spilled into, I mean, that's, it's got, you know, these sort of like range of colors. Uh, I can imagine you haven't. Been on a Gewurztraminer pick since I was a kid when we had some up at uh, the McLeese Vineyard at the top of Sober Vista. Uh, so I, I couldn't imagine trying to decide when Gewurztraminer was oh, ripe right. or underripe or yeah. too ripe. That's uh, you didn't go through like every berry would taste different, right? Well, you know, well, if you have a great vineyard like Farrington, you're going to get some more uniformity. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yes, you are going to be going from that russet, that darker red color into kind of almost a a Chardonnay golden color, right. but like any quality property, it's about evenness of ripening, right? It's not just about the average. Mm-hmm. Like anyone can take a green banana and a black banana and mash them together and get the the right <laughs> get the right numbers to harvest. That isn't really the idea. The idea right, is no. the evenness of ripening, yeah, and that's it's, really it's it's Zinfandel. It's it's, it's the Zinfandel. It's the white exactly Zinfandel. One. Yeah, yeah. It's that's that phenomenon. So. Gewurz is no different, and I think so. If it's like, why is Hush such a great vineyard? Why does Navarro make great Gewurz? Why does Farrington make great Gewurz? It's that same thing. It's getting places that aren't having this hodgepodge of overripe and underripe. Right. So that's so that's one of the things that makes it such a great property. And 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 that's why it does so well in in an appellation like that, as opposed to. I mean, there are certainly places here in Sonoma Valley where it's it's done well up. Uh, uh, the vineyard way up at the top, past uh, up at the end of Gurky Road, uh, Alta Vista. Alta Vista. Yeah, yeah. You know, Gunbun's vineyards are very old, and but again, cooler site. You know, right. and mm-hmm. and doesn't like trying to put it in Kenwood. No, no. Well, you know, this is what the third 
Alsatian white we've had from Anderson Valley slash Cole Ranch yeah. in the yeah. last, you know, what when we had uh, uh, Cody oh, and sorry. Cody and Reed on the episode, on the show a few weeks. So clearly, I mean, you know, Anderson Valley. Uh, obviously, people think about the sparkling and and, and Pinot, Pinot Noir, but um, if you're going to open your all Alsatian white tasting room, exactly, maybe it's you know maybe it's in Boonville. It right. it could be, <laughs> it could be. And all four customers, right? All four. Brian, all four customers Brian's are going to have a great putting a lot of exactly. miles Brian's on his car. All four customers right. and all exactly. four teeth. Everyone's going to get a lot of personal attention. Um, so the other cool thing, and by the way, Gewurztraminer is an Italian grape. A lot of people don't know that. Really? It's an Italian grape. It comes from an Italian town. It's a town called Tramon in northern Italy. Oh. The people in Tramon speak German. So oh, grapes Pino from Grigio, right? So grapes okay, from yeah. around Tramon are called Traminer. What's that have to do with? Pinot Grigio. Uh, I think that's a region where you get Tyrol. Pinot Grigio it's as north, well. It's north of uh, north of Venice, and there's a town called Tramon. Grapes yeah. from around Tramon are called uh, Traminer. Gewürz is spicy in German, so Gewürztraminer is spicy grapes from Tramon. Still more acreage planted in that part of Italy than any other country, believe it or not. <laughs> so yeah, so while it's this, uh, it's it's basically an Italian grape with a German name. So that's kind of a cool thing as well. Um, at least that's the derivative. Again, it's well, and Gunbon being German, they adopted it, so they're well, the famous ones here. Well, certainly Alsace, yeah. uh, Austria, Germany, they all do great jobs with it. Well, um, Al- Alsace is Alsace is the region that like jumped back and forth from being Germany and being uh, France, right? right? Sure, exactly. Yeah. So this is this is a grape without a without a country. Exactly. It's the Switzerland of grapes. The Switzerland of grapes. It, it, it can fit like in it. anywhere. As a Swiss-Italian, I'm, I'm digging it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, well, and, and David, tell me, if you get a chance to work in the tasting room and see, my challenge is always with unique varietals, um, you know, especially at the hotel. It's, it's Pinot Noir, Cab, and Chard. Sure. And so the, the challenge with unique varietals is just it's just – it's literally just getting it into people's mouths. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that you need to do. And once you get it in their mouth, they're sold. So who are the people that are buying Gewürztraminer after they're tasting it? First of all, those people who walk in and immediately go, I don't like it. It's sweet. Right. Right. So those are the first people that come in because they're thinking of their grandmother's Gewürztraminer. Or, you know, one of the problem with any German label varietals, you never have the idea of what residual sugar it's going to be. It's a very complex category when you're buying European Gewürztraminers. You don't know if you're going to get something to the drier side. You don't know if you're going to get something at 5 grams per liter of residual sugar or something at 35 grams per liter of residual sugar. And that's turned a lot of people... A lot of people off. So does German Gewürztraminer get labeled in the same way that Riesling does with like Auslace and Trocken and all these uh-huh. words that I can't pronounce? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But that's... but that that's, doesn't, And that means nothing but just how ripe it was when it was picked, and they, right? And yeah. And then also European labeling laws allow you to put sugar to acid. So you can still label something as dry based on the acidity. So if you're at nine right. grams per liter of acidity, you, I think you can put in 11 grams per liter of sugar and still label it as dry. So you can do... There's all hmm. sorts of things that make it very complicated for people. And so they're not sure what they're... It's like, you know, it's... It's like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're gonna get. <laughs> yeah, it's a trademark Fulcrum Wines LLC. Right. Yeah, um, but, that but yeah, but the the point is that I think the, you get it. In, I never made one before I opened a tasting room because I knew I couldn't go out into the yeah. marketplace and sell a dry Gewurz, domestic Gewurztraminer. Yeah. But once I could get it in people's mouths, there's people that initially think it might be too sweet. 
We walk them through it. We tell, we explain it to them. We explain that it's an Italian varietal. We explain the derivation of name. This is made with a technique called Swiss Reserve or Swiss Reserve, where I reserve 2% of the juice when it's coming out of the press. And I take those buckets and I freeze them just to store them so they don't start fermenting. And then I, I ferment the wine bone dry, uh, age it in stainless steel barrels that I have for about four months. And then about six weeks before bottling, I bring out that juice, thaw out a little bit of it, and I do benchtop trials, adding back the original juice to the finished wine. Huh. And by doing that, there's all these esters and aromas in the original juice that get lost in the fermentation process. So by bringing that original juice back in, we bring back the aromatics, and we can dial in the right level of sugar without having to make it overly sweet. So we're not just arresting the fermentation, we're actually adding the juice back, and that just brings the thing to life, and people love it. And so Wait, if you want, and, and so what number is this at? Five point one. Okay. Five point one grams per liter. It, 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 I, I would not have thought it was. I'm not going to say that sweet. I would not have thought it had five grams. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and again, you don't always. Don't you, you know, the the good thing, you know, the easy the easiest things to do nowadays with technology is just go up to a tank and hit the button and drop it to twenty degrees and arrest the fermentation and dump some sulfur in there. But that's that's a that's a way of of kind of mass production of these sort of things. But, but that, that's also hard also because sometimes just adding sulfur and chilling it down, it still will move. Like some yeast will still move. That's why, um, that's and, why and, exactly right, I do what I do. Right. That is like trying to jump out of a slowly rolling car. Yes. I've had a lot of dates like that. Right. And, uh, Where you're hopping out around, or they yeah, are. Yeah, it often. Who's, who's it doing often, the jumping? <laughs> well, I just, just they all, they all, I, I drove them all to the hospital afterwards. But, um, yeah, but that is that, that's exactly why I do what, that's why I go through the expense and the labor of doing it because, first of all, not only that, you're going off your palate based upon all the CO2 and yeast in it. You're, it's slowly going. It's still going to tick down. Right. It literally is that, that analogy really holds to it. Yeah, no, I'm thinking of, of a friend of the show who um, has mentioned that he's had that problem before, and he's probably not listening, but... He should have been listening because it would have been a good idea if, for if him. You're gonna, if you're going to make any Alsatian white, that's the technique that you want to do if you want to have any RS. You don't want to guess at it. You don't want the slow rolling car. You want to get the thing bone dry and then just make sure you have the juice in reserve and then really dial it in. For Riesling, okay. you're adding, you want to add the juice because of acidity. Gewürztraminer is a very low acid grape. So the question is, why add any sugar at all? And it's really because there's a lot of bitterness that can be in the skin of a Wurzdemeiner. Mm -hmm. So residual sugar is something, even though we're doing whole cluster pressing to try to avoid the pickup of those bitter tannins, um, uh, that is why we're trying to balance it. Do you ever cool. get that dry wine and go, I really like it the way it is? Yes, but then the marketing guy on the other shoulder comes over <laughs> and goes, oh, but you have to sell it because you have bills to pay. And so uh, I may like it, but I know if it's too dry, uh, first of all, when it's drier, it doesn't have as much aromatics. The juice definitely brings a lot to the party. Um, and a hint of residual sugar, um, I think, goes a long way. Right. And it makes it more palatable. And you already have people who are a little wary of it, so let's get them into it. Yeah. I, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be. I mean, the fact that people would drink sparkling Moscato, right? <laughs> like, why this, this fits... It's fresh, it's clean, it's aromatic, it's interesting. There's a hint, just, it doesn't have to be made of a lot of sugar. It'd be made just a hint. I don't know why it isn't more more popular. So I'm, a, I'm an evangelist for it. And for, forgive my stupidity. When you're adding in that juice that hasn't been fermented, doesn't it want to start fermenting? Sterile filtration. 
So as soon as that's why we add it right before bottling, and then we have uh, to run the whole thing through a sterile filter to get out the uh, yeast and any bacteria that are in there gotcha. that can feed on okay. the sugar. You're exactly right. So you're just getting the flavors and you're getting the flavors, yeah. and then you, like any any anything with sugar still in it, you've got to unless you're trying to make something sparkle, you gotta right. you've got to sterile filter it. And in a way that a lot of large wineries do it, or larger wineries do it, Brian is. They ferment it dry, and they add back sugar, but they add back concentrate. And that concentrate is usually like 68 degrees bricks, um, and it's from some no-name, no-variety vineyard down in some godforsaken place. And what David's shout doing— out, Shout out Kern County. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what David's we doing lost, is— We just is, lost our listener in Kern County. He's <laughs> never going to listen again. Um, what David's doing is he's he's allowing he's he's using the same fruit and so there's a um, there's a it, it's cohesive right it all works to synchronicity synergism, synergism. and and that juice that you talked about it's it's uh, that concentrate oh, at sixty disgusting. yeah well the way they get it there is through a, a tube and tube heat ex- this is this is on the quiz for everyone listening to the podcast right. but it's in a tube oh, shit. it's in a tube, tube and tube heat exchanger so they're literally. Uh, almost boiling the juice to try to get rid to boil it down to that 68 percent you're losing a lot of the aromatic yeah i mean you can't compare me literally driving buckets of juice to a frozen storage place from the actual vineyard and adding it back to just any sort of concentrate or sugar add that you might want to do yeah it's It's not even the same yeah yeah um so it's fun so that's gewürztraminer yeah so now we know I'm glad we went back and talked about it. Yeah. 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 Now we want to talk about the Sauvignon Blanc. Now let's talk about something I can sell. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Sauv Blanc. This Sauv Blanc comes from uh, Starscape Vineyard, which used to be called Floodgate. I used to make a Pinot Noir out of Floodgate. Um, I thought that's Anderson Valley, though. No. There was an old Anderson Valley floodgate, floodgate. Okay. which closed, but then there was a new floodgate in Russian River Valley, right at Trenton Healdsburg Road right. and uh, River Road there, called Floodgate because literally the water will go above the top of the vines in the dormant period what? of the year, and then will recede, and the vines survive because they're in a dormant phase. I know that vineyard. Wait, because of, are we talking about because of, like, is it in an old riverbed or yeah, something? Yeah, right off of the river. And so it's very silty alluvial soil right off the river. They're set low. Now some is a little bit higher and it doesn't get it, but some of the very low land of it will in a heavy, not every day, but on heavy rains in certain years, the water comes up and I've seen pictures of it where you literally will see a spur above the water line. And it's like, how does, how do the vines not just, you know, just struggle? And, and again, I think if it was every single year all the time, you obviously you're not growing there, but it's an occasional thing. That's really kind of interesting to see how resilient vines can be. Well, and, and um, does that, I mean, are you dry farming the rest of the year or do they have to get irrigated? No, no, it gets irrigated. You know, it huh. starts to get hot. And yeah, the water, now older vines are hitting that water table, don't need it as much, but they do have stuff up on the hills that probably needs some irrigation. And the Sauv Blanc is a little further up on the hill that I get. This is clone one, so that's a Wente selection. Um, very aromatic. Fermented in stainless and then held in stainless, and this has no residual added in any way. This is bone dry. And and how many cases of the Gewurz and how many cases of this? The Gewurz about 
I'm going to say 280. And on the Sauve Blanc, I think just over 120, 130 cases of this. I, I, I made a lot more than that, but I've actually used it. I have a new blend. I have a new white blend called Madman under a new label that I'm launching uh, that's a blend of this Sauvignon Blanc along with some Viognier and Chardonnay. That's kind of my uh, kind of a, a white blend that we're coming into. But um, just under this. Wait a minute. Can we talk? Are, are you ready to talk about that? Or no? Sure, sure. That's going to be in the all other white set. That's going to be lost in the all other white section of a store coming right. near you. Right. <laughs> I'm down with blends. I'm down with white blends. So what, what was the like? What was the thought process for doing that project? Um, I think being the winemaker owner, chief bottle washer, you know, I, it's it's having stuff that's fun for me. I love yeah. making Gaps Crown, which we'll try. It's a great property. I've made it now for, you know, 15 years. Um, and we're always trying to do new things. So I don't want to make it sound like it's boring, but uh, I like I want to do stuff that's different, and I want to. And you never know when, who knew Dry Rosé was going to be when Dry Rosé, and I do Gewürztraminer because I want to do Gewürztraminer, and I felt like, you know, um, let's see what we can do with white blends. I'm definitely going to be doing a red blend under Madman, and that's certainly a known category. But um, we started with white blend because I was, I was kind of ready to roll with the 2020 white blend before I was yeah, with the red blend, right. which we'll do next spring, summer. We'll bottle. So, and, yeah. And you picked those varietals because of their sort of what they each add I was already the making them. I also make a Viognier for Fulcrum um, and, uh, and a Chardonnay. And so it's kind of like that was what was in the kitchen cabinet. Yep. And I thought, let's see what we can do with it. So it's about 45% Viognier, about 40% um, this Sauvignon Blanc, mm -hmm. and then 15% um, Chardonnay. I'm down. Yeah. 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 We'll get you a bottle. Cool. But it's... Um, so this was all stainless, very classically done Sauvignon Blanc. I think the aromatics are amazing on yeah. it. I think that's what delivers on this. Yeah, and and it's I mean it says cool climate um, in a very nice way. And um, this is my wife would be going crazy over this Great bottle. And, and yeah, right. This is the perfect temp to serve too. Yeah, it's yeah, not just a bump seller. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sure. Not too. Does John need a wine glass? He's drinking out of a water glass. That's okay. <laughs> I, I drink out of a coffee mug most of the time. Yeah. Nice. That's nice. Yeah. Not one of the beer hats with like a bottle no, on either no. side. It's, no. It's all this. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's all this arthritis. These big glasses I have a hard time with that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Nice. Well, yeah. So this is this is fun. Um, and Sauve Blanc in Russian River, I mean, that's one of the things, just a shout-out for Sonoma. I mean, Napa, you know, Fumé Blanc and Napa Sauve Blanc is probably bigger, definitely bigger in terms of plantings. But but Sauve Blanc should be planted more in more spots in Sonoma. I think, I think it does great uh, in Sonoma. And I think with Chardonnay kind of hitting its zenith, being the number one, Chardonnay never had anywhere to go once you're at number one. And now with Dryo Rosés, Sauvignon Blancs, we're seeing Chardonnay, you know, kind of leveling off at least, if not yeah. coming back a little bit. I'd love to see some of that acreage get turned over to Sauv Blanc in Sonoma. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's Sauvignon Blanc in Sonoma County is so diverse too because. Sure. Um, Carneros cool Sauvignon Blanc is nothing like Russian River and then you know Dry Creek is nothing like Alexander Valley you mm -hmm. know just to kind of compare two warmer spots and um, there as working at a winery winery that did blends Sonoma County blends 
we counted on those different flavor profiles to put it together to put it together sure. because we had to make wines that were consistent every year sure but there's nothing b- better than the really regional sauvignon blanc for mm-hmm. me i mean i love the distinctiveness that you get from the different areas so i think it's sonoma's sonoma's strength is like like us personally uh, you know, your strengths are often your weaknesses. Sonoma's strength is that we can grow anything here if you find the right spot. Yeah. And the weakness is that it isn't as easily defined, right? You can go to a place like Napa and you kind of know in Napa what it's really well known for. It's got a, it's got a real image. We in Sonoma can do so many cool things. And, but again, very different being out in Annapolis yeah. versus being in Alexander Valley, yeah. right? So we can do a lot of different things. But I think so, I'll, Sauvignon... I'll, I'll take the diversity myself. I, I'm all for the diversity. Um, and so I do think that... Uh, I do think we'll see more Sauv Blanc coming out. <laughs> That's Althea. Oh, we have How's a new, going, Althea? A new guest, Althea. Can you say hi? How's it going? Hi. Say it. Hello, podcast world. There you go. Does she have a bunny or a... I think it's a I think it's a baby doll, John. There you are. It rattles when she shakes. <laughs> ah, yes. And a bottle, a baby bottle for you. Oh, very nice. Being cool. a baby. <laughs> she used to be a baby, Sam. And that I think she yeah. that used that shirt that Alexander Calder shirt used to be mine. That's yeah. Awesome. Clearly, a long time ago. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, your your talk about sense of place. It really comes through with the Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. You know, and that's so nice. Uh, Sam did the same thing with the Audetet. You know, a sense of place because you've got the same thing, the exact same grape, two different spots, two different profiles completely. Same winemaker. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Same process. I think that's our I, – I, I've uh, – I don't mind making a wine that people don't like because it means that it's kind of from that place. Like – you know, we can we can either overly manipulate a wine or we can blend into something that can often be very a great wine, but maybe loses some character. So you have to be willing to make something that is maybe too acidic for someone or too floral or not. You have to be willing to take a chance that if you're going to kind of talk about the site, that it might not be everyone's cup of tea. And that's a hard thing to do as a winery. You want everyone to love every single wine you make. And so... And I certainly do. I'm not immune to that. But certainly um, you take chances and you say, you know, but yeah, this tastes like that spot. And maybe it isn't your cup of tea. I'll find enough people that it is their cup of tea. I mean, you when you're the winemaker um, and the owner, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of the wines. And it's just a matter of finding the right style for that customer. Exactly. And, And I think sometimes customers are afraid to tell you that they don't necessarily care for the style of the wine right? because they think you're talking about the quality of the wine. Right. And, and that's a huge difference. And that's where my arrogance comes is. through. And that it's like An I arrogant tell every- wine make? No, that, that doesn't exist. Well, I mean, there, you know, there's a certain... There, that is a... That is a... I resemble that remark. <laughs> the... Uh, the... Uh, but, I mean, people will do that. They will almost apologize. Yeah. Oh, I don't care for that. It's like, like, it's like listen, I know it's – first of all, it's fabulous wine. Right. I'm not looking for your approval, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a 14-year-old boy. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, it's like it's a great wine. It isn't your – it isn't what you like. I don't take it personally. I don't – I think that's something I that just, you have to do. I just think that's a, a good conversation for people to know. Like, yeah. I think it, it sort of lends to the accessibility concept that you were talking about when yeah. we started out, which is, you know, when we put two versions of a, of a Rhone blend 
down in front of people and, and they're maybe newer to wine, but they can see the differences and they can taste the differences and start sure. to identify what they actually do like. Right. You know, I, oh, I like the steel plow more than the Rossi. I like the Rossi right. more than the steel plow. I like Dos Limones more than the estate or vice versa. You, you start to see, you know, help that wine, that wine drinker get exactly. informed on what their palate is. And exactly. then, and then also appreciate those differences too, right? right? Oh, this is higher acid, brighter flavors, I can have this with these types of meals and these types of weather conditions or whatever on a cold, stormy night. Maybe I want the Rossi Ranch that's bolder and, you know, richer. Exactly. And There's a, and stew. Same right. thing in our place. You come to our place, we're pouring four to five different Pinot Noirs um, from different Appalachians in California, and you're going to find some that are more austere, some that are more generous. You're going to find some that are fruitier. You know, we have wines that we know are made in a uh, – that have a, a certain character in the vineyard that we just know people are going to love and we we try to show what's interesting about them but we are often talking about the other quirky ones it's like having a kid like like having uh you know one kid who's the homecoming king or queen and another one who's in the chess club and uh and who plays the cello and they're both brilliant and they're both great but one is just kind of this obvious kind of uh is easy to get the spotlight and the other one sometimes you just have to be the one to say but let me show you what's cool about this and that's that's kind of the fun part about it and that's what you can do when you invite people into the tasting room that you don't always get to do out in the bigger public world yeah what's the most popular pinot for your customers and then what's your favorite they're all my children, so I won't say what my favorite okay. is. The one that's behaving the best that day. Um, what is the most popular? I never thought I would ever say that anything would surpass Gap's Crown, and it might not. But Wildcat Mountain, which is partially owned by uh, Steve McRosty, um, down near the the raceway up uh, – just for people that know the, the Carneros area. Mountain at yeah. 700 feet. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, kind of a swampland with a mountain, right? Uh, but basically, uh, due west of where you see Ramsgate, so you start heading up in the mountain up there. That wine makes a very approachable. It is a more approachable wine in its youth. I make. I try to make wines that I think that have some longevity to them on the Pinot side. Um, but that is a wine that I think also has longevity, but. Um, and is that what you're po- about to Actually, pour no, right I'm going to pour a blend because I just right. talked about how important places. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that segue. Yeah. That's all right. We know that you're going to come back And now to for a wine that obliterates sense of place. No, I'm just. Uh, it was all that pre-planning that we did. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got, we've got this all done. We actually start with this wine. This is our on-point Pinot Noir. But Wildcat often on gets point. people. Point of the fulcrum. Gets people excited, excited. about. Yeah. 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 So, On Point is a blend of Konzelman Vineyard up in Anderson Valley, which is across from Mir Hanley's place, uh, Wildcat Mountain, and Hogan's Run, which is a property in Russian River Valley out towards Guerneville. And um, so this is an example where we start people in the tasting room with this blend of them, which tends to be a lighter style, less new oak, um, and, and kind of shows the art of blending within Pinot Noir in different regions. This is a North Coast blend because we go up to Anderson Valley for some of uh, the blend. Uh, but then we get people into distinctive. And we try to say the vineyard designates, just because something's a vineyard designate doesn't make it better. Yep. It may make it more distinctive, but it doesn't necessarily make it better. You know, And this is a great example, I think, of just a, 
a well-proportioned Pinot Noir. Everybody's Everyone's being wines. quiet. Yes. That's Pinot Noir. You yes. Yeah, exactly. You got to think it's, about pay it. Pay it its reverence. Exactly. <laughs> this is po- the clones are Pomard eight two eight six six seven for geeky kind of folks. This we, is coming in about nineteen percent new oak. Yum. We've talked more Pinot Noir this episode than we have in I, you know, the past the, half the past, year. I was going to mention that two hundred and two with David coming on the show that I can't remember the last time that we actually had a Pinot producer on the show. Wow, I mean, it's been, it's Can, been well, we've had the Canzlers. Uh, wow, that was like two years, two years ago. ago. Wow, we were, we, we, we were out in Sebastopol. We almost got Eric Bradley fired wow. uh, from Pangloss when he was talking about texture. Right. Uh, oh. uh, and wow. Um, and there you the go. San Giacomo's. The San Giacomo's. Uh, okay. okay. I like to know that I, that I'm helping break down barriers for <laughs> right for people fi- like me. Finally, bringing well, Pino Noir to the me. forefront. Tino needs a little help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who to thunk? Yeah. Wow, I thought I was going to have to fight for Gewürztraminer. Who knew the Pinot was going to be right? the ba- the hill the to die on? It, well, if you listen to the podcast only, you'd think that about 87% of the vineyards in Sonoma County are Grenache. Right. <laughs> 3% white runs. I mean, we might have actually talked about... Um, we might have actually talked about Gewürztraminer more than Pinot in the we 202 about episodes. More than Pinot. Right. Yeah. We definitely talked about Riesling more than Pinot. Well, I think that's, e- you know, it's easy, you know, like what I said about Shard, where is it to go? You know, I mean, it, when something becomes so popular, it almost becomes, uh, you know, you want to talk about things that aren't it, right? If I go to Brooklyn, I'll be honest, I because I have to make the wine I, and I also sell the wine, you know, I, I encounter customers in the trade and consumers. If you go to Brooklyn with a Sonoma Pinot Noir, it's just not, it's almost mainstream, right? It just seems like, don't you have any... Tasmanian peak pool it's like no I no sorry right so there's a whole genre of of folks and it's not because it isn't a great wine it's just people always and that's the great thing about the wine business always trying to search out something different now Brian's going to be looking for Tasmanian (laughs) that's where I was going (laughs) I said the magic word peak pool I've already already discovered one (laughs) nice I'm actually drinking one from Julie Bonneau that is put into barrel, put into a shark tank, and then submerged into an oyster farm. For oh, it's so, wonderful. Right? Sounds great. Right? Yeah, it tastes just like a footlocker, but fruitier. Oh, you can, you can <laughs> pick up the hints of salinity, and it does a natural botanage down there with the oysters. But I get it. Everyone's uh, looking for the you do. You know, something different, something cool. But, sure. But, Marketing doesn't matter. But I work at a place where Pinot, Cab, and Chard rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's most of the people that I see. It's ninety percent of people that come from sure. other parts of the country. These of are the course. wines that they want to drink. They're wines that they know. And um and by the way, they're some of the great wines of the world. So yeah. you know, you don't have to make apologies <laughs> for it. It's kind of like, oh, oh, oh another oh, white no burgundy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's like, uh, yeah, they're amazing. They're is amazing that, wines. Is that There's a reason Premier for Crew? it. Premier Crew. I only drink Grand Cru. Right. Sorry. Brian, right. when you turn people on, when you have a just a dyed in the wool uh, cab drinker. Do they ever lighten up and, and try something else? And what do they like when they do? The, John, the, how I do it is the by the glass program. I think I've told Sam this before because we're currently pouring his Zinfandel by the glass and um, we poured Bart Shannon by the glasses. Can I ding my own wine so we can yeah, send sure. people in there to get uh, yeah. by the glass Zinfandel? What I do is I put on Pinot Cabin Shard at a premium price point. 
and then I offer the unique varietals at a lower price point. So in essence, I'm daring people to drink those wines. It's if you wanna if you wanna only spend fourteen to sixteen dollars for a glass of wine, you're gonna drink Petit Syrah, Grenache, Chenin Blanc, Zinfandel. But if you wanna drink Cab, Pinot, or Chard, you're gonna pay eighteen to forty dollars a glass. Right. And so it it pushes people because it, the girl in the fig, I had that ability every day because there wasn't any other option. Right. Right. So you were just stuffing people into the into the. But but now I actually have to get a little creative about it. And then when you sell forty dollars glasses of Chardonnay all day, the big bosses are really happy with you, and They're, you can buy whatever you it, want. It's a win win. I can <laughs> That's tell right. you. That's right. Yeah. Check. But it's an interesting situation that you've got. You really do. You've got it. I mean, these people are paying big dollars to stay there and the wine's not cheap yeah uh, but getting them to taste something else has always been your thing right and, and unless i'm on the floor um at their table pushing them to try something else I, I have to set up a system where that happens naturally um i mean with 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 chardonnay drinkers my my new one is the terminum the white blend from donald pats people are oh we're looking for a chardonnay so well, what do you like about chardonnay well, we like weight and body, but we like acidity. We like some lemon. We like some apple, some pear, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, have you ever tried a white blend of, you know, Rhone varietals? No. I, and, and, and I honestly say, I'll open it up for you. If you don't like it, I will drink it tonight myself. You can say you don't like it, and I'll drink it. And I, I mean up on my Instagram at, at 1 in the at morning. 1 o'clock, one thirty, two 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I will honestly do that. But, but 9 times out of 10, even more. I mean, it, I don't think I've ever had a bottle sent back. So 10 times out of 10... If it's if it's good wine, people like good wine. They just don't know what they, they don't know what they don't know, and they don't know why they've they're never had a why they've always yeah. had the same thing. It's, I think it's kind of our responsibility when people visit us here because it's like if you're not going to learn more about wine than what's on a shelf tag at your local yeah. liquor store, what was the point of coming here if you did, weren't able to see something? different right if you go to the louvre and all you do is just walk right over to the mona lisa and leave yeah. it kind of it kind of it's like yes we know what you like and we know what's kind of well known check check but <laughs> yeah. now take a look at the breadth of things and i yeah. think that that's the cool part of it I, I i know i enjoy showing people stuff that has to be the fun part of your job is showing them things that are different yeah yeah get yeah. people to stand up on their desk and shout oh captain my captain yes I want them to see the world from a different perspective so let's and talk they about, do. So and let's talk about Pinot. And how often are they? And, but that's the point. So how often are they disappointed, right? And they're not. Right. That's the point. And I think that's what they walk away they from. Just, people with. just get into their routines. Sure. And, and it's unfortunate. But um, So that on point? Thoughts? Questions? You won't hurt my feelings. It's okay. No, I mean, it, it's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's fine. It's a, it's a very well-made Pinot Noir. <laughs> Thanks. Um, it's very good. It's, you know, it has nice weight and has good acid. And I mean, there's no doubt it's Pinot. I think it's, I think it's a well done wine. N knowing ahead of time, um, that it was a blend. I, I mean, you know, it's, it, you just go there. You go, yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> what, what is the price point of this one? That's at 42. Okay. And what are the price points of the Gewurz and the Sauv Blanc? Gewurz, I'm going to say 33, Sauv Blanc 35. Okay. Uh, and then we're going to go to a Gaps Crown Pinot Noir here. It's up at 72. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you come to the tasting room. Our wines are in the low 30s. And then part of the point of having it on point to have that, and quite frankly, the fruit cost in that, obviously, is the same as my vineyard designates. Right. I don't, I don't, it's a barrel selection. Yeah. But 
again, you want people to have something that gets them into Absolutely. better quality Absolutely. wines. And so we offer that, you know, that is a chance to get into one of our wines at the 42 level from really great vineyards in the North Coast versus and if someone's uh, taking this if someone's taking this bottle home to share with friends and they're going to turn turn their friends on to your brand but they can't afford the gaps crown exactly. or they don't want to share the gaps crown with their or friends. they don't want to share the gaps <laughs> right. crown that's more like it yeah um that's a great introduction you know yeah um, well, and by the way 42 dollars just for everyone in california is a lot of money for a bottle of wine right. it's an absolutely astronomical number for a bottle of wine in most of America. If yeah. you go to, you it's know, if 13, you go. 13 is what, the average? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so the idea of someone popping, they should have a great experience with a bottle of 42. Yeah. We should never feel like, oh, and this is our value wine. That's a special bottle of wine for almost everybody anywhere else. Right. And, and when it's a great, it's sort of, it's more seamless than you'd expect from a you know, vineyard, you know, yeah, of a yeah. blend like this from three really different growing regions. Well, that's that's the uh, challenge of this. Yeah, the exactly. challenge of that is to come up with something, and I appreciate the term that you use, seamless. That is the idea, is to come up with something that's a blend but seems like a whole. Yeah. And, um, and hopefully is the, I guess my hope for that wine is for it to be the... Uh, the picture next to the definition of Pinot. I want it to yeah. be that thing that when someone tries it, yeah. they go, oh, that's what a well-made Pinot is, right? It's not going to be as distinctive as maybe the individual regions that you guys will be hip to, no. but it's going to be like, wow, that's if, – if you're not sure if you like Pinot, try this, and if you like this, at least yeah. you get what now Pinot's let's about. break out, right? Well, and I think we all know that you know because vineyard designates are so site-specific and so dis distinctive – um, there are going to be people that don't like certain vineyard designates. I mean, we know that, you yeah. know, um, where this is a, you know, this is, and, and don't take this as a negative. This is a crowd pleaser. Mm -hmm. Like no one's going to, no one's going to reject that wine. Yeah. Well, Hey, I got a mortgage. Right. So, uh, hopefully I make wines that people like. <laughs> I have no, and that's I, why you make blends, yeah, right? I don't, I don't want to be that winemaker goes, I make wines that only people hate, but they think about them very hard right. before right. they hate them and never buy them again, right? right? They think so, about not buying a second So model. I think you can make something interesting and complexity and something just well-rounded that people like and, and, and moves them forward. And it, you say that it's a, an astronomical amount of money, but for actually for a Northern California Pinot, that price point yeah, isn't it crazy. No. no, and that's I don't, what's kind of crazy. No, honestly, I mean, we we know what f how much it costs to farm fruit out here, um, and if you know these vineyards and you know what it costs to farm these vineyards at the same quality, and again, it's not like we're putting, it's not like we're grabbing the, uh, um, it's not like we're we're going to lesser properties. Forty two is actually a value for that wine. For sure. Now we've poured the Gaps Crown Vineyard Pinot Noir. We talked a little bit about Gap's Crown. It actually pours differently. Huh? <laughs> Does it? There you go. It's a different bottle. I almost heard like horns shape. playing as it came out. Dun, 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 dun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Making this since 07. Um, and, uh, yeah. First person in the vineyard. Not the first. Brian Harrington. I don't know if you remember the name Brian Harrington. Brian Harrington probably made a, uh, a wine from there a year before I did that I knew of, that at least I was aware of. Um, but, um, yeah, so this is a 2019 Gaps Crown that I'm pouring. Two clones, 828 and 667. They're picked separately, very far apart, almost a month apart in the property. 
<laughs> six six seven is very early. Eight two eight, you let it go and go and go. The acid. One of the things that happens in Gas Gap's Crown. I'd love. I really don't talk to other wine. Other winemakers won't talk to me. But um, <laughs> if if they would talk to me, I'd love to ask them. Uh, you know, if they're experiencing the same thing in this vineyard, I think they are. Which is the acid stays very high in this property and falls precipitously. It is not a stair step down. Hmm. It is high sugar. Sugars could be at 19% and the acid is at 10. Then the sugars go to 22 and the acid is at 9.5. Then the sugars get to 24 and the acid is at nine. I mean, you just are not, you're finding the sugars escalating and the acids don't. Then the next week it might go to 24, 5, 25 and it drops to six five. It like it happens. It's wow. this. It is this. It's not happening. It's not happening. And boom, the acid falls, and that's a big trigger for us. Uh, when at least from my standpoint, when I want to pick there, so that's another reason why that fruit hangs out there and can get a little bit richer is because it's like wait for it, wait for it. Even right. if the flavors feel good, the acid is so ripping that right. you have to wait for that natural fall. And then, and then after that, if let's say you miss that, when it gets six, then does it drop again, or does it kind of maintain itself at six? Well, at that point, your your sugars are getting so high right. that I mean, you're already kind of fighting yourself, right. saying, "God, I don't want the sugars to get higher. I don't, I don't, I don't." So when it falls, you're eager to do yeah. it. I guess there may be some folks out. There. I've driven out there later in the year after I've picked and. There's people still hanging out there, so they're making a little bit of a different style. So that's that. So, but that is why that vineyard can make again a crowd pleasing and a kind of bombastic style of Pinot because it kind of lends itself to hanging out there. But I, I try to make one that still retains some of the acidity and that is still balanced, but it still has all that kind of interesting character. I think that's something that comes up time and time again on this show from from winemakers in these hallowed vineyard sites and it doesn't matter the variety uh the signature of a great vineyard is its ability to hold on to acidity as it ripens especially in, in california where you know we have sunshine and, and acidity is always one of our struggles right um and it's just you know clearly this is a wine that lives up to the hype of the vineyard and when you know those things happen time and time again from these vineyards it's that story. It's like, oh my God, we were at you know, 28 bricks and the pH was still 3.2, right. you know? Um, right. And, and uh, something that happens to us, in, and interestingly, from Gap's Crown above Pengrove to, you know, the top of Moon Mountain, you find, you know, the great vineyard sites where Pre came and uh, have the same thing happening. And you're talking right. about, you know, Cabernet at the top of the world and, you know, grapes that you know you could see the feel the ocean from right. uh different varieties and it's the same it's that same story it's really interesting yeah something that you know keeps keeps popping up right. yeah and that's one of the things people always ask about is what what makes a vineyard why is this such a right why, why is any vineyard a great right. vineyard you know that's certainly part of it and then the, the other the the question that they ask which is a hard thing to answer is so why don't they just make every vineyard a great vineyard? <laughs> and it's like, because you're guessing when you plant it. <laughs> it's because you're yeah. guessing at rootstocks and you're guessing at varietal and you're right. guessing at row direction and you're guessing at, you're just, you know, your first year before you have a chance to replant a vineyard, many, hopefully many years down the road, 
you're 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 making some assumptions and sometimes those assumptions they nail it <laughs> and then right. when they nail it it's like they planted exactly the right thing in the right spot in the right way and that's what does it yeah they continue i mean those are places that get replanted though of right. course yeah there's I'm, always fine adjustments yeah, you know yeah. Um, Durrell's great. I get Clone 95 out of there. A lot of that's Wenty. I get Clone 95 out of Durrell in the Sand Hill section of it there. Beautiful property, and they have a lot of variety in there as well. But, yeah, they have to replant. And what um, What's the winemaking regime on this wine? Like, is there any whole cluster and uh, barrel usage? Uh, yes, uh, 40% new oak. Um, the oak is all Francois Ferrer on this wine. I use other Coopers and others. This is all Francois Ferrer. And it's overwhelmingly trance. Should we uh, shout out to and and R.I.P. Becky Wasserman? Yeah. Sure. Francois Ferrer. Or she, that was her first her first gig was selling wow. Francois Ferrer barrels. Shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Now we now we're timely. There you go. Look at that cutting edge. <laughs> but we're still a week late. Right. Of course. <laughs> it is the winemakers podcast right. after all. That's right. <laughs> so it's um, forty percent new oak, mostly trance forest, which is. Um, Allier is a forest uh, in oak that's, that's probably the overwhelming number of barrels sold for, for Pinot. Uh, Trance is a tighter grain, and it, um, it tends to uh, kind of give up its, its oakiness slower over time, which I, I like on this wine. Uh, medium toast, so that's what we're doing on Cooperage. Um, 11 months. Actually, this came up to 12. We were able to bottle uh, last September. Uh, because of a later harvest for us and harvesting less, unfortunately, in 2020, we were able to push bottling further into September. Um, so we've got a so at this point, we're looking at a year in the barrel and a year in the bottle. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that makes your barrel usage very, um, uh, very balanced, right? You don't have to sit on a bunch of empty barrels uh, after 15, 16 months. Yeah, I mean, that's my yeah. Um, so so that choice is always my choice is always obviously 11 months or 14 months with right. Pinot. Um, sometimes Pinot's, like the Brousseau Vineyard, which uh, is down in Shalone Appalachian, yep. that I, uh, um, I'll i be picking first here. Yeah. It's on my Instagram if anyone wants to go. and um, That along with what I ate yesterday. Um, but um, it is very minerally, mm -hmm. and you can get a lot of tannin out of that property as well. It's in decomposed granite and limestone soils. And yeah. if you hit one of the streak of the limestone, which all of my, my blocks do... You can get you can get some tannin. That stuff can be very aggressive in the barrel, and that we we hold over. So we're willing to sacrifice some. You get a fruitier wine if you can bottle before harvest. If you go over harvest, you can, that wine tends to chill out. You you get more aging in those three months in barrel than right. you're going to get in a year in the bottle. So really taking advantage of going over harvest when you have a wine that can integrate a little bit more and have some of those. Um, tannins polymerize a little more to smooth that wine out so we'll we'll we'll, we'll decide based on we don't have a set regimen we'll actually taste those wines and decide when are we going to bottle um i would say i want to taste this wine a year from now oh um it's, it's great i mean it's tasting delicious mm. now but yeah. it's really gonna i would have never guessed 40 percent new oak yeah it's right. it's it know. sucks it up gaps yeah. crown totally a bigger richer vineyards and the bigger vineyards can also suck up oftentimes a lot a lot of oak, yeah. you right. know, because yeah. they do have a lot of stuffing to them. Yeah. So they can hold up a more elegant property. You just need to be a little more hands-off with it. Um, yeah, it's a great property. The age, I think it's true of all of our style. If, you, if people had to say what our style is, um, I want everything 
well, of course, balance, because that's where we're about, even our on point, when a ballerina's on her tiptoe, she's on point, which is why we have that brand. But uh, I think, so balance is part of it, but the other thing is ageability. I opened up a 09 Gaps um, at Christmas. It was gorgeous. Yeah. It was gorgeous. And I think everyone gives a standard pat out. It's, well, how long can you age California Pinots? Five to seven, five to seven. I hear that so often, and that's almost kind of just become a routine. But it's site-specific. It's winery-specific. And uh, I definitely have examples of Anderson Valley from 07 that, you know, that's still beautiful now. And what what else are they growing in Gap's Crown besides? Chard. Pinot. Is Chard. No, Syrah. Not that I'm aware of. And they only added Chard in recent years. Uh, it wasn't originally planted to Chardonnay. And where are you getting your Chardonnay from? Uh, Durrell. From Durrell. Okay. Yeah. And the Viognier? Uh, up in Lake County, a variety of sources, including Dorn and a couple others. So you do a blend of different of different sites. sites up there. Okay. And why Viognier? I mean, I know you like... That's what all the cool you kids like, are doing. Because well, wasn't hard enough to say. Well, no. I mean, you like aromatic whites, right? So. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I can. I think that's what we do. We do have a Chardonnay. We have a gorgeous Chardonnay, a Durrell on the at the tasting room. Hmm. But I love making Gewurz. I love making. You, well, you tried my Sauvignon Blanc, right? So I have a. Uh, <laughs> I have the telltale a, squeak of the brakes of Phil Cateri's yeah. Ford right. pickup. <laughs> I have a thing. Milk. I have a thing for aromatics. You can tell even from the Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. I really think when it comes to white wines, particular. Well, hopefully my reds do, but white wines, aromatics are a big deal for me. Yeah. No, you know. me too. I so can I tell my story from yesterday? Oh, you went to that tasting yesterday. So I had I had a uh, it's like the tale of two cities over the last couple of days. So Monday night was spent here at this table doing a blind tasting with um, normally it's a group that Joni Stagnero um, puts together, but she was out of town, so Jasmine did the blind tasting here, and it's with uh, Ethan and Rebecca from Pangloss, and then Ed who used to be with Treasury. And then uh, Justin and Patricia from the Fairmont, all, you know, younger people with, you know, not a great deal of experience. We all have normal jobs. We're not winemakers or anything like that. (laughs) And everything was, well, sorry, I am a winemaker, I guess. But but um, Sonoma Sam Rusan. But just you know, very ca- very casual. We're we're we're, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're 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 sitting out here and we're eating you know melon and mint that Jasmine made at her house and um, just a, just a very enjoyable pleasant experience sitting out here at you know eight o'clock at night. And then yesterday going to um, Don Sebastiani's house where Chris Sawyer hosted a tasting. Sawyer of, and Casali, right? Sawyer and Casali, right? Of um, um, classic white Rhone varietals, and it was nine wines. You're talking, um, you know, the, the who's who of, of of Rhone, right? It's Bocastel. It's. Get the calls. Did we say them? No. I, I think I was invited because Sandra couldn't make it or something. So someone had to kind of represent the girl in the fig, which was he the was benchmark. the B team. We're the C team because um, I've been there, but I think I was. I think I was the C team invite. Yeah. Um, but it, but a unique tasting in that the out of the nine wines, the first one was they had gotten from Bottle Barn and it was oxidized. It was horrible, and and so that one was kind of discounted. And then it was all a blend. Uh, it was Marsan and Roussan wines, almost all except for one. One was from Coupe, so the rest of them were from Chateauneuf and um, you know it was Hermitage. Um, and then the last one was obviously a Viognier. And so the the whole 
um, setup is you're there with, you know, it's Carol Shelton, it's Anthony Touchard, it's Jeff Cohn, friend of the podcast, um, and then wine writers, critics, people, judges, people. I mean, it's it's like the who's who of the wine world, right? And me. Uh, well, of, <laughs> of that wine world. Of that yes. wine world. And, and me. You're a, you're a who. You are uh, a who. Um, you're a who's who. Um, I'm a, yeah, okay. So, Wait, so the, the, the format is is that it, you know everything's um, sort of blind. So where you're tasting all the wines, you evaluate them, and at the end we talk about each wine and then say which ones were the favorites. And so then everyone kind of jumps in. as to, So then you come to a consensus, this was the best wine of the tasting. So the last wine was, was a Viognier. And for me, was it, was it Condrio or was it California? So you didn't know. You just knew the vintage and you knew that it was Viognier. You knew the variety. Right. They told you. Okay. Right. Um, so we're, as we're going through the tasting, and to my left is Don Sebastiani sitting at the head of the table. And so he is, as, we're, as we go through the whole tasting, he's talking about how wines number one and number nine don't really belong in the tasting. The number one was just gross. And then the number nine belonged at the end of dinner with a bowl of fruit. And so I'm, <laughs> I've rated that wine as my favorite. Uh-huh. It's my number one wine. But as I hear chatter, and then especially as we go and people are describing that wine, I can tell already that this is going to be like you're, the lowest scored wine, right? <laughs> I know I'm screwed. So I actually went there, like Charlie Parker, when he gets hit by Rick James in the club, I actually went to the like, holy shit, maybe it's me that, that I drink wine every day, like... How come I am tasting something that's so different from these people? And I actually thought about going back and changing my score. Oh, no. Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I don't want to be the only one that picks it as my favorite wine. And I'm, and I'm so glad that I actually stood my ground and thought to myself, this is what, it's why we do the show. This is why we, you know, as a psalm that I, the way that I talk to people on the floor is different from, I think, the way a lot of psalms talk to people is, it, 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 I was feeling intimidated. And so it came down to that one was the last wine. And, you know, because everyone, you know, you went wine by wine, everyone said, okay, whose wine is this number one? It got to that wine and they said, okay, who had this as number one? I'm the only one with my hand up. The murmur starts amongst the group. Oh my. And I said, but I can justify that. And oh. Don Sebastiani says, let him talk. Let him talk. <laughs> so I said, you know, maybe this, wine isn't like those other wines but i love this wine i would drink this wine every day and obviously my glass is empty um i i think it's a beautiful wine but it was it was such a weird experience and then as the after i left there i thought this is how a lot of people feel like when they go to a restaurant or when they go to a tasting room that they have that intimidating experience right and they they don't speak up as like you know what i actually really like your Gewürztraminer. Maybe I don't like your Pinot, I, I, but I love that Gewürztraminer. Right. And you know what? Who fucking cares? Right. And if this they didn't morning, care. you woke up with a horse head in your bed? Yeah, right? No, no. But you know <laughs> what happened? daughter's wedding. He, he sat <laughs> by himself at lunch, and the only bottle he got was that bottle. The- <laughs> no, I think, uh, honestly, I think sometimes people have a standard in their head. And yeah. I think you get a group of people that all have a standard and they're all kind of comparing to a standard that's something that happens in the wine business all the time that i find uh i wouldn't say frustrating but i find it it's kind of um it doesn't help the wine business yeah in that it's like oh well this is what a chateauneuf de pop should taste like and this and everyone has this and so when they try to something that maybe is too fruity or something that is 
too people pleasing. That is too this, too that. It's almost eschewed as being not sophisticated enough because it's yeah. not cl- not because it isn't a good wine, not yeah. because it isn't enjoyable, but because it isn't to a quote unquote standard or to what everyone has in their mind as to what a wine should be. Yeah. And that's why pe- people who are neophytes who have no idea what that standard is, just. Uh, you know, just say this is the wine. I don't know wine, but I know what I like, and they say that all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, so I think the the business would do better to have more of your attitude with the wine and raise their hand and say this is what I like, and it's a yeah. well made wine. And it's a fucking. It was so, a Condru, and, well, it, and what it was the producer. Do you remember? Uh, I have a picture of it. It was it was people that had just recently gotten into the Condru game, but it it would have sold for about two hundred plus dollars on my wine list. Like, wow. but it's but it's being tasted against Shab and Gigal and and I have um, a palette of Gewürztraminer for you uh, right. that you can put at two hundred a bottle. <laughs> but Sam, it's it's it kind of reminded me of you. Like if you went to a tasting and they were doing Cab, Pinot, and Grenache, and and you sort of heard people talking about like, oh well, you know that Grenache doesn't really belong in the tasting, you know. Yeah, I mean I've uh, I've been in those tastings, right? Where you sit around and everybody's got a Cab and you have Grenache, yeah. and you stick to it and at the end of the tasting you go, all right, well, there was something unique and refreshing and, um, you know, different in a good way. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it also is just like, I think, you know, the point that you're making, David and, and Brian, if you know what you like, if you can identify what you like, you've gotten over the largest hurdle in this wine game you know, as, as a consumer, if you can figure out what you like and know how to get there and then you can, from there you can go on to anything, but getting over that first hurdle and trusting that what you like is okay to like. Well, yeah. And you know, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and this is, this is a little bit of problem with, you know, the wine fairs and the wine judgings of the world is that, is that you're told what it is, and and it can, a, a wine tasting like a a, a, comp, a wine competition, you know, the there's two things: either a wine is totally that does well, either a wine is totally different than all the other wines in the lineup, and the judges have all tasted together, and they all kind of have similar similar um, styles that they like over the years. They always end up picking the same wines. So if your wine is different and it appeals to them, then they may pick it up. But if your wine's different, and but across the board, they like a specific style, then your wine gets lost. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of the same thing. And that's, to go to Sam's point, is what I'm trying to say, is that identify your own style and what you sure. like, and then rely on the people that you can rely on, whether they're winemakers or, or people that work in your favorite tasting rooms or your God, local wine merchant. God forbid your podcasters. There you go. (laughs) When I took it to another level, I was like, this is how racism starts. <laughs> there you exactly. Is, that was right? probably the wrong. Because be, hashtag me too. Def- because Viennier's not it's from the nice, right part of nice town. It's been nice knowing you, Brian. Right. It doesn't. It All doesn't of a sudden, the, it doesn't have the social cachet oh, that, that the other ones Wrong, do. From the bad side of the right, road. other side of the tracks. <laughs> right. Oh this my is God. How genocide from starts. Southern this is road. how war starts. Look, Viennier was nearly an extinct grape variety. Sure. Right. right. There was absolutely there was forty hectares or something left of VNA in the world in the seventies. Wow. So but you're it, not you're not. It's not. I mean, well, again, you probably should keep an eye on your rearview mirror as you drive home for the next week. Uh, uh, there isn't. There is something to be said for like these variety. Gewurztraminer is 
you know, California Convertimeter is probably on that list of things that are like, there's less of it now than there was sure. 25 years ago. Well, of course. Because of that, right? Exactly. But I also remember that for there are two people, there are people where wine is a beverage and people where wine is a hobby. Right. And so we're so often being in this milieu of people that know wines and are in wines and make wines and grow wines that it's like we think we can intimidate people. And quite frankly, it's not their hobby. It's something they have with a hamburger or a steak yeah. or it's a, it's a beverage to them. Right. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go and move people from Chicken McNuggets to a Michelin star meal. Right. It doesn't mean that you, that so that whole, oh, well, I know what I know. OK, well, then there's also kind of, you know, there's another world of food. You yeah. can get people from Chicken McNuggets into a variety of things. So I'm not saying that one extreme is good, but the other extreme of just saying that it just has to be a hobby and you have to know everything about it. And there's only a certain standard that we have for things. That's also not good. And we've got to figure out a way to kind of gravitate people from from saying, yeah, learn what you like and drink what you like. But also, yeah. hey. You haven't tried this. Right. Hey, you haven't tried that. And so uh, we can't be so snobbish as to say wines that people like are immediately not good wines, no. which is right. almost the, the situation we get into. Right. If no. something is too easily identifiably as just tasty, no. there's a certain certain tendency in the wine business to think, oh, well, yeah, it's obvious. Yeah, like it, like all, it, all that mattered was that you called the right pick day. You know, with Viognier especially, that's that's important. But the, should have waited a week. We tasted some wines where that was the same case. Right. You know, pick, the pick day was important too, and then and then the rest of it goes along. But anyway, I loved that Viognier. Mm -hmm. Well, you were the only one <laughs> <laughs> in that room that day. Yeah. No. If it's twelve dollars a glass at. Uh, you know, you know, my worst fear is that they were going to pull the brown bag off and it was going to be a bottle of imagery Chardonnay from the Pine Ridge Vineyard and <laughs> wherever. And then I was going to just slowly sneak away into the into mm. the background. Um, yeah. But the fact that it was a conjure that helped. Good. But he'd be walking out with the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> you probably you probably sold a few bottles of that in your day. Of what? Of the imagery chardonnay oh when you were uh, there, 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 there's, for sure yeah. yeah right there's nothing wrong with wine being pleasurable to a lot of different people and the, and the older i get the more i don't mind the little old lady that asks for a glass of ice that puts it into her paul Hobbs chardonnay that she drinks you know what if, if that's what she wants to do like you said wine is a beverage and if you want to drink it like John out of a, a water glass yeah, sure. or like me sometimes at night yeah. out of a mason jar. 700 with, wine glasses oh, here, sure. John. You're drinking right. out of the tumbler. That's my prerogative. <laughs> yeah. The ice thing still bothers me. <laughs> it, you you got to get over it. You got to get over it. I know. Uh, but it's, um, yeah. However people, listen, if they're a paying customer, right. it's however they want it. Yep. The days of uh, going to a country club and them not letting you in because you're wearing dungarees instead of uh, a jacket for dinner. I mean, come on, let's get rid of some of that pretension. That's happened, that's happened to me. If they're the yeah. customer, <laughs> if they're the customer. I've been handed a jacket. Yeah. I have been handed a jacket. I've been handed a tie. <laughs> I've I mean, seen Sam in a tie day with a jacket over it. That's true. Wow. <laughs> French laundry. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> David, tell um, tell everybody about any new releases that you have coming up, or sure. um, your wine club, maybe a little bit. You got um, it. Where uh, other states where your wines might be available if yeah. they don't want to buy? Well, we're direct. sold in 24 states. I'm like the biggest winery no one's ever heard of. 
Uh, so that's that tells you how good of a marketing guy I used to be in my past life. Um, but um, yeah, we're sold all across the country, but we're not sold in every shop, right? So we're in Arkansas, but we're in right. three shops, you know, and we're in a handful of restaurants. Bentonville and also Little Rock. Shout out to Colonial Liquors. Uh, go. They got the Gewürztraminer. Thanksgiving's coming. There Remember it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so new releases. You know, 2019, we're slowing our releases. We're doing, we did all of our Sonoma releases just recently. And I'm going to come back in the winter with our Shalone Anderson Valley releases uh, to kind of bridge because we did make so much less in 2020. Sure. We're going to kind of bridge over to the 2021. So those releases are coming out. The Viognier's new in the tasting that. room. The Madman, that blend of uh, Sauve Blanc, Viognier, and Chard is coming out. I have a new uh, fulcrum, uh, I call it RJB, Red Blend. It's a Tempranillo from Napa Valley, uh, uh, blending in Syrah and Malbec uh, with Tempranillo. Uh, so I call it RJ, and it was done in all American oak. So the whole idea was to kind of do an homage to Rioja, so that's where the RJB comes from. Um, so that's coming out. I always have something new coming out, I think. Okay. We have a new Alexander Valley Shard that's going to be hitting the shelves. Yeah. So a lot of cool stuff in the hopper. Always stuff coming out. And if you want to see what you had for lunch, check Instagram. Absolutely. Um, and, um, and, and and what you're drinking. Yeah, like with Brian, you know, I ate it in and out burger. I'm not ashamed. Uh, we pulled the bag off of it, and it said it was in it. I thought it was a five-star meal. It, but it's harvest. It's harvest. Uh, you can yeah. you know, feed yourself. I was driving back from Oakville Ranch this morning, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm in Napa. I'm going to go to Bouchon, get a cup of coffee, and maybe something gluten-free. And there was a line, like, down the street. Just, wow. just you know, if, and then you go to some place where you're like, all right, it's in and out. There's no line. I'm going to get a burger now. Yeah, you know, it's that time it, of year. You just got to, like, get it in when you can. Honestly, so. in California, you don't find my wines much. I still live in New Jersey. I sell more on the East Coast than I do on the West. I'm here, though, from now to the end of harvest. Yeah, so how one does of that the, work? Yeah, I was going to well, say. Well, first we, of all, we, the vines are dormant for six months. And it, since I have contracts with the growers and they know how to take care of the vines for six months, yeah. I don't really need to be walking up and down. I don't you, I don't where are you a favorite? Your managers <laughs> yeah, they're, they're happy to hear that. Yeah, they're absolutely yeah. happy to hear that. And yeah. by the way, so I'm in from the time we get to Verasion all the way through harvest, I'm there. And once I get everything in the barrel, making wine takes about eight weeks. And selling it takes 52. Yeah. So where I live really isn't that important because I'm going to be coming to, I just came from Phoenix to do events. I have events lined up for Michigan, Iowa. So while I am hands-on in all these properties, I'm at every single pick. Uh, I get ahead of the truck and I receive all the fruit at the winery. I make it all with my own little hands. And, and um, so this is all made by me during this time. But the reality is when you're a one-man band, You've got to be out there, you know, showing it all over. So I, al I often spend a lot less time being here in California and being out showing the wines other places. Yep. But, um, oh, another cool thing. On Friday, I'm disgorging my sparkling. Wow. Um, so that's a cool thing. So it's a sparkling rosé. The fruit uh, came, um, Ned Hill farmed it. Uh, the fruit came uh, right over from uh, Alpha 8th Street in front of Patson Hall. Uh, clone huh. 667. I did a uh, Method Champenois on that. Wait, where did you do that at? Uh, brute bottling is really cool. Okay. So I brought in the I brought the wine into Bin to Bottle, which is our custom crush facility. I made the base wine. Mm -hmm. um, I got it stable. I got the protein levels. I got everything I wanted in the base wine. 
and then I brought it, uh, I brought it over to Brute Bottling, which is right down the road in Napa. They have all the equipment for doing the uh, bottle ferment, and then for ultimately doing the, uh, so we did the tirage there. We're gonna be doing the disgorgement and the dosage there on Friday and having that bottled and ready to go. So that's a cool way for me to do that. So that's another cool thing coming your way. That's awesome. So yeah, always, always having uh, fun stuff coming. But yeah, being in New Jersey, uh, it works. I can sleep in my own bed and drive to Virginia and sell wine and drive to Boston and sell wine. I mean, we're pretty fortunate that we actually got you. Uh, right. The timing was perfect. <laughs> yeah, it worked well. I'm here. It's so weird. I'm in, I love doing this. So I am in the vineyard. I mean, I, I know, I work out of a custom crush facility, so I'm, sh I'm elbow to elbow with a lot of winemakers, and it becomes a day-to-day -day thing for all of us in some things. I think my proximity where I live still makes this a magical time of year. Yeah. It's easy for everyone to go, oh, harvest oh, shit, the grapes oh, are purple. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's also why we got into this, and it's also kind of the magical part of the year as well, even though there's all the, the, the hassles that come with it. So I, I still appreciate all of that. I don't know anyone that way yet. <laughs> <laughs> we had a... Um, we had a vineyard, uh, our, our viticulturalist or our, our the, the guy that dealt with all the growers, he would always determine when harvest was over when he booked a trip to Hawaii. Perfect. So he was like, I'm leaving for Hawaii right. on this date, so sure. we will pick the last grapes the on day this before. date. The cab might be a little bit er herbal, but uh, I'll be having a luau pig by yeah, morning. No, he, was always, he was always really good about that. Part. I'm sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Come and see me in New Jersey. The podcast in New next time. Podcast in New Jersey. Well, you should. Uh, we'll come to the shore. We'll connect you with, with. Uh, oh, the only, with the, I'm the only other person I know in New Jersey. Yeah. That's not true. But the most important person I know in. Do New Jersey. Do you know MJ Taller? The black, no. the black, black wine, wine guy. Oh. No. That would be great for you yeah, to go we'll, on uh, yeah. his uh, show. We'll love hook it. you up. I'd love it. Yeah. Let me know. Shout out. At, who's, yeah, who's, his third season is dropping. It is. And with like. Uh, some big names in those those first three episodes, yes. including uh, Patrick Capiello and some other good ones. So um, you'll have to go into New York guy. City to uh, to record with him because he does it like in a real studio, and that's nice. way that's, fancier. He than has there. a producer. <laughs> nice. Um, we have so. a producer. Well, this is oh, yeah. great. Well, this is phenomenal. Not a producer. Well, John's part not, of the team. This has been this has been magical. Look at this. I bet you the view's not as nice. I bet you the weather's not as nice. Well, that's true. Yeah. Especially right now. There you go. Or ever. I'd love yeah. to do it. And and he'd rather be out here. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure. All right, guys. Shout outs to anyone. We we got Becky Wasserman, R.I.P. Yep. The the reason uh, that Charlie we Charlie Watts. I was gonna oh, say Charlie Watts. Watts. I was gonna uh, say yeah. a drummer from the Stones. And then um God, after death I gotta talk about this. We are doing a rose dinner. <laughs> oh wow. That was awkward. Right? <laughs> wow. Um, wow. Who's the producer of this you know, show? Not, we need not, not really. I mean, wow. you know, come celebrate life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Come, come some celebrate love. the end of summer. I'm doing a rose dinner, Chateau Escalon. So it's all you guys know, Whispering Angel, Rock Angel, all those uh, roses. Never heard of it. We're doing. <laughs> I'm doing. Those, yeah, where are those? From? I'm doing uh, five courses of rose. Um, nice. And a um, French duo. So live music, Duo Gajo. Shout out to Duo Gajo. Um, September 15th, 125 a person. I can tell you we will be serving as the canapé reception, something that might still be illegal. Canapes? I'm not sure. Canapes. With, foie gras? I didn't say that word. Okay. <laughs> but you're, not, it, you're not buying the foie gras. 
Right, you're paying you're for the You're buying toast. the ticket. You're, you're just paying for paying the, for the ticket. Yeah. Um, and it's all going to be French-inspired food with local ingredients. And actually, the menu is You should awesome. sneak a bottle of Audiotet Rosé in there and under the table. I'm not... I'm not messing with Francois, the guy who's coming from <laughs> France, <laughs> to do that. But anyway, reach out to the Fairmont if you want to come to the dinner. We're going to have fun. We're gonna, it's going to be outside, all fresco dining and, and live music, and uh, we're going to have a good time. So, all right. Hi, Althea. You're going to get come and say, that's all, folks. I don't say think goodbye. so. She's getting a little too shy. She's still shy about the microphone. Right. All right. Are we out there we is. We got the wave. Yeah, come here. Say it into the microphone. All right. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, guys.